Section 5 of U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency, Aldrich Plan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Corrie Samuel. U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency, Aldrich Plan, by Alfred Owen Crozier. Chapter 3 Fooling the People. Bank reserves to be left in Wall Street, not put in central reservoir. Mr. Frank A. Vanderlip, President of the National City Bank of New York, on February 25, 1911, delivered an address on the Aldrich Plan for Banking Legislation before the Commercial Club of Chicago, praising the plan without qualification. He has been a consistent advocate of a central bank for ten years, ever since he retired as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, and became Vice-President of the great Standard Oil Bank. He was one of the five members of the Special Committee of the New York Chamber of Commerce that originated and devised the first plan for a central bank, adopted by that body on October 4, 1906, here and after fully described. And that first plan, and the present Aldrich plan, are practically identical as to their functions and powers. The plan of 1906 called it a central bank, the plan of 1912 a National Reserve Association, but a pickle by any other name is just as sour. The said report of 1906, signed by Mr. Vanderlip, says on page 9, In our opinion, the best method of providing an elastic credit currency the volume of which could never be excessive, would be the creation of a central bank of issue under the control of the government. This central bank should have branches in the leading cities, and should have dealings only with banks, although its capital stock might be privately owned or distributed among the banking institutions of the country, it should be under the direct control of a board of governors appointed, at least in part, by the President of the United States, for it should perform some of the functions now imposed upon the United States Treasury, and should, at the same time, be managed not exclusively for private gain, but for the public good as well. On page 24 the report says, In its management representatives of the government shall be supreme. That report was a reasonable, logical, statesmanlike utterance. We take it as the guide in the plan hereinafter suggested, accepting in detail practically all of its provisions. Will the gentlemen who originated that plan join us now on that basis? Or will they insist on blocking all legislation unless they can put through the Aldrich plan for a private central bank or association controlled by the banks instead of the government? Were those gentlemen insincere? not frank in 1906, or have they backslid since? We prefer to believe that they have changed their minds, perhaps due to the fact that since 1906 the riches and power of Wall Street have grown so enormously that they now seem to consider Wall Street and its banks of more consequence than the United States government and its 94 million people. Mr. Vanderlip, in his Chicago address, strongly urges the present Aldrich plan. He reverses his 1906 position. In that speech, which is being sent out by the banks as a campaign document, 
On page eight he says, We are now more than amply supplied with reserves. The difficulty is not in amount, but in mobility. Today the secondary reserves of the banks of the whole nation flow to one centre, and must of necessity be employed in one way. Such part of our banking funds as experience has taught may be needed on instant notice, can be loaned in just one place in the United States, where the lender can get them back with substantial certainty on demand. That place is Wall Street. This foremost of Wall Street's bankers thus confesses that under the reserve law the country's cash goes to New York and is loaned in Wall Street. And he says the greatest danger is this lack of mobility of bank reserves. And yet he is urging the Aldrich Bill that leaves the reserve law as it is, and the country's money in Wall Street. It seems strange that the twenty-four thousand banks are unwilling for the safety of the public and depositors, who furnish them most of the money, to hold one point five billion dollars in their vaults, or in a central reservoir, and out of Wall Street, when by law they have been given a monopoly of the rich privilege, under which, on a total capital stock of two billions, they have loaned to the people at six per cent, or other going rate, a total of twenty-three billions, most of it being mere credit, inflated financial wind, that costs the banks nothing. The fact is, the banks hope that by getting control of the public currency, they can print money enough to protect the banks in emergencies, without taking the reserves away from Wall Street. Instead of using their own capital, and consolidating their reserves for mutual protection, they are going to keep their own money busy making profits in Wall Street, and let the private central reservoir be filled with a billion dollars of public currency, furnished free by Act of Congress. Mr. Vanderlip adds, I would then say that the four things we must seek to accomplish by a properly designed financial measure are, first, mobility of reserves, second, elasticity of note issue, third, certainty that solvent banks can re-discount, and fourth, the creation of a discount market. The first, enforced mobility of ordinary cash reserves, has been abandoned. The third, re-discount, and fourth, a discount market, can easily be furnished under the present law by the banks themselves without any action from Congress. They can, without new legislation, incorporate a big central bank to re-discount for other banks, and no one in the United States would object. The second, issuing of currency, is the only thing left. It is the one important thing in the pending bill that cannot now be done by the banks without new legislation. Therefore it is the sole object of the Aldrich plan and of the entire campaign being waged by Wall Street and the banks. It is the one thing that should not be done. The main thing that should be accomplished is to reform the reserve system, but that is left out entirely, and this is called reform. Writer foresaw that this would be the programme when, at the National Civic Federation meeting in New York, on December 17, 1907, he forced from the Wall Street bankers present, through Mr. Seligman, chairman of the Committee on Resolutions, a public admission that they sought private control of the public currency, when they opposed Writer's Amendment, which read, Provided, 
that power to issue and regulate the volume of the public currency shall not be taken away from the federal government and be put into private hands. With all the dense dust kicked up by Aldrich, the banks and Wall Street to hide the real issue now blown away, and the actual bill brought out of hiding and into the spotlight of public congressional scrutiny, investigation and criticism, the Aldrich plan, stripped of tentativeness and mystery, is found to seek just one new thing, namely, private control of the public currency. In The Magnet, written in 1906 and 1907 to combat this measure, we warned the country that private control of the public currency was to be attempted. Writer gave the same warning on December 17, 1907, at the National Civic Federation meeting, when a majority present were Wall Street bankers and their friends, and in his petition read to the Senate and printed in the Congressional Record, February 10, 1908, in his address on Wall Street and its currency measures before the Boston City Club, March 5, 1908, in his argument against the Aldrich Emergency Currency Bill, a measure paving the way for the central bank scheme, delivered on invitation before the House Banking and Currency Committee in Washington on April 16, 1908, in his speech on panics, their causes and cure, before the National Reform Association at Wilmington, Delaware, on June 4, 1908, in many articles and interviews on the subject, sent over news association wires, and printed throughout the country in the public press, and in private interviews with, and letters to, President Roosevelt and President Taft, judges of the Supreme Court, senators, congressmen, governors, and many other public men. That author's fears were justified, and his early information accurate, the pending Aldrich bill is convincing and conclusive evidence. It is just a private grab at the public currency. The warnings that at the time to many seemed over-radical are now found to have been rational and conservative. Whatever sentiment there may be favourable to the Aldrich plan among the masses of the people has been almost wholly created by the plausible and convincing argument that all bank reserves should be taken out of Wall Street and merged into one central reservoir, to be drawn upon for adequate relief in an emergency by any bank, located any place in the United States. For years this has been heralded broadcast through the public press by the Monetary Commission, specifically stated in their report to Congress, by high government officials, in the speeches of President Aldrich and many leading bankers, and by letters and literature now being circulated throughout the country by the big banks and the American Bankers Association. The very name, National Reserve Association, was selected for the same purpose, to convey that impression to the people. That the whole argument is a cheat and fraud upon the people and Congress is proved by the fact that the bill prepared by the Monetary Commission, herein before given in full, does not contain a single provision requiring the banks to withdraw a cent from Wall Street, or to deposit and maintain with the National Reserve Association, in their central reservoir, even one dollar of their $1.5 billion of legal cash reserve. This revelation no doubt will shock the confidence of the whole country, 
in the genuineness of the proposed reform in President Aldrich, and in the big banks and powerful Wall Street interests promoting the scheme for their own benefit. The chief curse and evil of the present banking system is the law that years ago was instigated by Wall Street, under which a large portion of the entire cash of the country held by the banks, nearly one-third of it, by means of the reserve system is concentrated in a few big Wall Street banks, where much of it is used by the stock gamblers to fleece the people in flotation schemes and dishonest manipulation of the prices of listed securities. And this Aldrich bill practically makes no change in this reserve system. The banks of the entire country can go on depositing their cash reserve in Wall Street, and will do so, because Wall Street banks pay interest on such deposits, and the National Reserve Association is prohibited from doing so. We now find that, instead of merging their cash reserves in the central bank or association for mutual protection, there is to be held ever ready for use at any point of danger, as loudly proclaimed, the banks are allowed to continue sending the same proportion, three-fifths, of all their reserves to Wall Street hunting interest, and that instead of using or depending upon their own capital reserves, in case of trouble they propose to make the government supply the capital or money to protect the twenty-four thousand banks in emergencies, and to maintain the gold standard and rediscount for the exclusive benefit of the banks. This is to be done under Act of Congress, the law of the land, with a public corporate currency issued and controlled by a private corporation, owned by the banks themselves. Thus the great powers of government are delegated to a private banking syndicate, and made to continuously enrich the banks at the expense of the people, and to serve the evil ends of Wall Street. The present law permits a bank to deposit three-fifths of its fifteen per cent legal cash reserve in a central reserve city bank. This bill does not require, but merely gives the option to a bank, to deposit the other two-fifths of its reserve—that must now be held in cash in its vault—with the reserve association. The association uses this money to rediscount with, for the profit of all the banks. This plan puts every dollar of the bank at work earning profits, three-fifths in Wall Street and two-fifths through the association. It gives the banks extra profits from use of the six hundred million dollars now idle as reserve in bank vaults. Note that the association itself is not required to retain in its own vaults, in the central reservoir, as a reserve to protect the banks or their depositors any of this six hundred million dollars, representing two-fifths of the cash reserve of all the banks. It can pay out every dollar of it for commercial paper, and such rediscounted paper thus becomes reserve instead of actual gold. Only corporate currency, made on the association's printing press, will be used for the protective reserve. The law thus supplies money ad libitum to a private corporation solely for private profit and advantage. Why should it not be as proper for the government, by act of Congress, thus to furnish gratis, capital and credit, without limit, for other private corporations and individuals, as well as for the banks and their private association? The whole scheme is a vicious graft of doubtful legality. 
in an address before the Economic Club of New York, widely circulated by the Monetary Commission, made by President Aldrich early in his campaign for his predetermined plan, on November 29, 1909, in praising the central bank systems of Europe, he said, These central banks hold practically the entire specie reserves of all the banks and other financial institutions of their respective countries. The great difference between foreign banking systems and our own is found in the concentration and mobilization of reserves, which is the distinctive method of the European systems. It is the policy of the joint stock banks, in times of stress, to strengthen their reserves by increasing their balances at the central bank. It matters not whether the use suggested is in London, Birmingham or in Australia. This reserve can be drawn upon, as water is drawn from a great reservoir, in order to put out a fire before it becomes a conflagration, and before the time when the application of water would be as useless as if it were poured into the ocean. The European banks take these matters at their inception, and, by means of a concentration of reserves, they are ready at any minute to furnish the necessary means and the necessary credits to prevent disasters such as those we have suffered, and from which we shall continue to suffer unless we do something to reorganize and strengthen our financial system. He praises the central bank system, and then, to fool the Democrats, says the National Reserve Association will not be a central bank. Here we have President Aldrich threatening, or predicting, a return of heart-rending panic, the terrors of which over and over he has publicly described and enlarged upon, unless Congress adopts his then-concealed plan. At the same time he leads the country to believe that his plan will require the withdrawal from Wall Street and concentration of the cash-legal reserves of all banks in one central reservoir. When, on January 8, 1912, the bill containing his real plan is reported to Congress by his monetary commission, no such thing is required of the banks. Former Congressman Robert W. Bonning, a member of the Monetary Commission, now is travelling about the country, and by speeches and interviews helping to promote the Aldrich plan. The Chicago Daily News on February 23, 1912, reported him as saying that the greatest evil of the present system is concentration of bank reserves in Wall Street, and that the Aldrich plan takes these reserves away from Wall Street and puts them in the Central Association as custodian. He spoke to the same effect in the speech made at St. Paul, February 3, 1912, now being circulated by the National Citizens League, the stated title of said speech being, Reform Banking Legislation, a plan to break Wall Street control of American finances. The evidence is conclusive, and the country now can see that. Is Aldrich, with the aid of his supine, non-partisan commission, the big banks, the Bankers' Association and Wall Street, trying to work on the people and Congress, a clever, cold, heartless, gigantic, and dangerous political confidence game? And it seems to be intended instantly to more than double the possible earning power of all the banks by act of Congress. The play began way back in 1901, when in his report, 
Secretary of the Treasury Gage began the argument for a central bank and concentration of bank reserves in one central reservoir. Mr. Gage went out of office and became president of a great Wall Street Trust Company. His assistant, Frank A. Vanderlip, went out of office and became vice-president, and now is president, of that great Standard Oil institution, the National City Bank, that had just purchased from the government the old custom-house in Wall Street, which it now occupies for its bank purposes. That bank, or interests affiliated therewith, is the real originator and promoter of the Aldrich plan. As the deal has progressed, a general concentration of banking capital and control has been effected, until the various financial groups practically are all one and united in support of Aldrich, and they have made a deal through the terms of the plan changed to suit the big bankers, by which the American Bankers Association and the big national banks of the country have joined the alleged conspiracy, or are cooperating to drive the Aldrich scheme through Congress at all hazards, and at the earliest possible moment, before Congress and the people come to realise the true character and ultimate effect of this evil measure. Because of the tremendous power of these great financial allies, reaching through the banks, railroads and trusts into every congressional district in the United States, there is danger, yes, probability, that this bill, the greatest graft, the most sinister, far-reaching and dangerous measure ever presented to the Congress of the Republic, will become the law of the land. Then beware! The American people can be enslaved to the masters of high finance by Congress and the President, but they cannot permanently be kept in bondage. Must it be like France? After that, the deluge. End of section 5